When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to The Exchange. I am fortunate to have been able to catch up with Royfield Brown, a first-rate podcast producer and a whirlwind of humanity. Royfield is a man spinning many plates, and though he was the Agora Podcaster of the Month in May, it wasn't until mid-June that I was able to track him down and talk with him about the state of podcasting in 2016, and about several of his shows, including, but not limited to, Dumpty Dum, How Jamaica Conquered the World, and Ten American Presidents. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm pleased to introduce to you a man who lives vicariously through himself, whose business card simply reads, I'll call you, whose Cinco de Mayo parties begin in March, the man who was once pulled over for speeding and gave the officer a ticket, the man who, when he's in Rome, they do as he does, and the man who never wears a watch, because time is always on his side. Royfield Brown, the most interesting man in podcasting. Royfield Brown, welcome to The Exchange. Thank you for having me, Thomas. Uh, It's my pleasure, as always. Um, You are here today. This is sort of the the Lost Exchange episode. Um, <laughs> you were the podcaster of the month for May. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, because of your uh, international double O status, um, <laughs> we were not able to track you down effectively until now. But uh, glad you were able to join us. Well, thank you for putting up with me um, being somewhat uh, missing in action, so to speak, last month. It's fine. It really is. We're just so happy to have you. Um, well, let's, let's get right down to it. Um, now, I want to start by putting your podcasting career in in some sort of context. It seems like podcasts really caught on in, in the late aughts. That's the you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine. When did you come on the scene? I started podcasting in 2012. I was working, I just sold my company the year before and I was then working for the company I sold uh, my website to 
and I found myself commuting to work for the first time in 15, 16 years. And on that commute to work, um, I, that's when I really discovered podcasts. Uh, and then 2012 was the year when it was Jamaica's 50th anniversary of being an independent country and being inspired by uh, the history of the world in 100 objects, by the history of Rome, uh, by the Thomas Jefferson hour, etc. I decided, well, why don't I do something which celebrated that? So really 2011, 2012 was when I was bitten by the podcasting bug, having to commute to work, and then I decided to podcast. That's so funny. Um, commuting is is actually one of the big ways that I myself got into podcasting. It's, I wonder how much that actually affects people because, you know, when I had a, a five or ten minute commute, I never really thought about taking the time to, you know, find a show, download it, you know, pop in earbuds and, and deal with it. But, you know, when my commute got to be an hour or so, you start looking at things differently, don't you? Absolutely. And they describe um, one of the kind of podcasting listening phenomenons is the, the, they call it the driveway moment where you drive home, but you're a real crucial bit of the podcast and you won't get out of your car. You'll stop on the driveway, that extra 5, 10, sometimes 15 minutes before you actually go home. I had that, um, but it was the, um, it was me not walking into work. You know, I'd be listening to uh, The Complete Guide to Everything, which is a comedy podcast, and I would be outside work. Sometimes it'd be kind of raining and you have to be under, under the awning listening. So you just, just wanted them just to finish this one little wisecrack about something or some skit that were going on before actually get going into work. And that is the power of a really good podcast. That, that's very true. It's about engagement. Absolutely. Now, you are a digital strategist, uh, a marketer, a promoter. Out of all these things that, that you do and you can do, what is it about podcasting as a medium that has really captivated you as a producer of podcasts? I, I think because it's still relatively, it's relatively speaking, it's still the Wild West. Um, as a medium, podcasts are what, maybe just over 10 years old, but really they've kind of caught a second wind in the last two years with, with the advent of Serial. I know it's a, it's a somewhat tropey thing to say, but it, but it is true. The success of Serial means that kind of everybody who is computer literate has now heard of a podcast. That, for me, for somebody who thinks somewhat scatologically, means that it's a very fertile ground for working with clients and getting their messages out there. So some of the pod, two or three of the podcasts that I actually do, I am a paid gun for hire. And it's really good to be able to just experiment with, with, the, with the genre, with, with the format, and use it as a way to get kind of marketing messages out there to try and uh, capture kind of user loyalty and engagement you know and and I just find that absolutely brilliant you know the the rules around radio shows are pretty much written in sand you know you've got um, various legislation or um, broadcasting laws throughout the world 
or if it's print, you know, that size of that newspaper is physically the size that it is, etc. And every other page has an advert. Podcasting, you can still make those rules up. What actually is a podcast? And I just find that as somebody like me who loves marketing, loves developing brands to be a, a totally exciting kind of medium to be working in. Absolutely. And and hate it or loathe that we are in the post-serial podcasting world. And you still refer to it as the Wild West, though I think certainly larger conglomerates and businesses are starting to to also wake up to the, the fact that podcasts can sort of be a tool um, for themselves as well. Now, you've got a nice, generous, broad perspective. Kind of looking forward uh, in the next 10 years of podcasting, what, what do you see the state of the medium being? I think there's going to be many more large brands that are going to come on and either sponsor whole runs of shows or actually kind of create their own. And kind of the analogy that I I think which is closest to this is contract publishing. And I worked for a contract publisher. Uh, it's my last proper job, really, um, before I, I developed my own my own website back in 1998. And I think that, as I said, I think that is the closest model that we're going to have with podcasts. So contract publishing is um, magazines that um, look after, let's say, a specific industry or it's a company that publishes their own magazines. Now, in the UK, we have a really successful retailer called Waitrose. Waitrose is a supermarket, grocers, but very high end. It's a middle class wet dream, basically Waitrose. Uh, if your if where you live has a Waitrose, your property price has gone up automatically by ten fifteen percent. So Waitrose for the last ten years have had their own magazine, and it's that good, that glossy, that it sits in news agents all over the UK. It, it, it doesn't feel like a mouthpiece just for Waitrose, but it is. Um, it's incredibly glossy, well put together. So if you to translate this, you know, in terms of the way it would put together in, in terms of a podcast, it would be like This American Life. Incredibly slick and an, an engaging magazine. And you can buy it. And even though it's called The Waitrose Magazine, it doesn't say go down to Waitrose and go and buy your, your, your spuds or your carrots. It's just a really good read about with cooking um, recipes, with lifestyle pieces. But very subtly, within that is a message that you can go and get this stuff at Waitrose. But they never explicitly say say that. I believe that's going to be one of the ways that podcasts will go. So it would be, let's say, um, Red Bull doing a mm -hmm. podcast. And it's all about extreme sports and um, and keeping fit. They don't have to mention Red Bull once. Because actually, that podcast is about the lifestyle ethics, actually, of the brand. So that's going to be one way of which um, large companies, brands, will actually go into the podcasting sphere and actually create programs. And I think then that creates um, an opportunity or a problem, whichever way you want to put it, for, for people like us who are, um, let's say, enthusiasts and I kind of have a foot in both camps because um, I do 10 American presidents I still just about do how Jamaica conquers the world and I do dum de dum so there are three podcasts which I get some money for but it's not not at all a, li a livable wage but uh, so 
with that hat, then how do how does somebody like me who is an enthusiast fight against the fact that there's going to be marketing muscle behind Red Bull or uh, creating a whole load of podcasts? So um, it means that people like me need to be much more creative and individualistic about our podcast. At least they they stand out or kind of bandy together with like-minded podcasts to kind of to create networks. And I think that those networks will be much more solidified go, going into the future. So there always will be, let's say, a um, a Dan Carling who will be big enough as an individual just to, to swim out there by himself against the, the kind of the advertising uh, branded kind of uh, podcast. But then there'll be a whole plethora of kind of networks and then there'll be weird and wonderful eccentric podcasts out there as well but that's the great thing about it it's the fact that nobody really knows this medium is still really developing you know it, it, it almost feels like if there's an analogy to radio we are in the late 1920s where the standards are really just being um, laid down really but still maybe the wild west is maybe slightly it's like the wrong analogy maybe the wild west was still another three years ago but definitely in terms of if you looked at radio as a parallel uh, medium R- right here and now in 2016 we're probably in about the late 1920s hmm. now i think i speak for countless americans when when i ask you this next question who the hell are the archers and what the hell is dumpty dum <laughs> so uh the, the archers is the longest running continuous drama in the world it's been running for 65 years it's produced by the bbc actually in my hometown of birmingham in in the uk and it's a rural soap um it's on six days a week it's 12 minutes in length there is one actress who's been in it from the very start though she actually played a different character so it started in what 1950 51, 52. I fell in love with it um, on Radio 4 in the late 1980s. Um, Radio 4 is a rather peculiar British uh, institu- institution, BBC radio station. It's speech based, it's kind of NPR but, but posher. And The Archers is a show which somewhat feels slightly out of place on that radio station um they have very high powered kind of discussions and news debates etc on there and the archers has kind of been batted around on the bbc schedule in terms of its different radio stations ever since its inception in in the early 1950s so it's a rural soap the archers are a family uh of which there are fundamentally two main branches arguably three on the show they're all farmers and i just love it and i discovered that show in the late uh sorry in the early 1980s as a rebellious teen in birmingham when i discovered radio 4 and this world of intelligent speech-based radio typical With my... teenage rebellion there you know well i, I know and, and i'm I gonna it... listen to talk radio <laughs> well being from where i grew up in birmingham which was a, is a relatively working class uh, upper working class city in in the United Kingdom, and I was always into. Um, I've always been into geography and history. Um, I was always being fascinated by why 
is America the shape that it is? Why is there a big straight line between America and Canada? Why is uh, why does a bit of France jut out into Germany? And that's the Alsace-Lorraine, all this kind of stuff. I was just fascinated by looking at the globe and then, then, then history. Now, a lot of those answers I discovered actually on speech-based radio, on Radio 4. I was always into, uh, I've just always been into media ever since I, I was a small kid. My father... Um, in the in the seventies, had uh, Super Eight cine films, so he'd be making his little cine films, and then I was chopping up bits of audio with twin tape decks in the late seventies, early eighties, not knowing I was in effect audio editing. I was just playing around. So I've always been interested in technology, media, history, geography. I've all and I'm and I'm I'm basically a functioning dyslexic. So what I didn't do was I didn't read an awful lot. What I did do was I listened. So Radio 4 was just perfect for me. It was this world where people like Melvin Bragg were on there talking about stuff. And it opened up the world to me. So my teenage rebellious years were were listening to electro hip-hop in my bedroom and then switching on Radio 4 and then falling in love with the Archers. And then some 30-odd years later with my digital marketer's hat on i said wait on a minute um the game of thrones is the most talked about tv program in the world and there are probably let's say 15 podcasts dedicated to it uh and let's say each week 20 million people listen to game of thrones i don't know what the figure is but let's just say for argument sake of argument is that i, mm-hmm. I watched the walking dead and um AMC release their figures after each show goes out and it's maybe about 16 million um, watch, watch that there are countless podcasts to it mm-hmm. in the UK alone each week 5 million people listen to The Archers and there's 1 million podcast downloads from around the world and there is not one show dedicated to it so for me as a digital strategist it was obvious that if you did a podcast around The Archers you had a ready-made audience um, because there's one million people who are downloading that so are conversant with the internet whereas the the typical demographic for the archers in the UK anyway is old middle class white and rural but if you can get your head round of which one million people do a week downloading that podcast well you are going to be um, somewhat proficient on the interwebs so it was just an open goal as you know for me it was just obvious to to do this and then it will give me um, another platform in that people at the BBC will be listening to my show which is absolutely what we do know that they do so we've had actors from the archers on our show uh, we've had script writers on uh, the BBC frequently retweet what we do and on our 100th show, which was in March, we recorded it actually at the BBC, you know, in front of a live audience. So um, that is, in effect, dum-de-dum. I do it with a co-host, Lucy B. Freeman, who's a comedy writer. I say hello, hi and welcome. She cracks all the jokes. It's very light-hearted. Uh, the Archers is, is, a, is a drama, is a soap opera. But ours is very much a comedic take. Uh, but we do love this thing and people call in and the, the lovely thing is about dum dum is that we've managed to create a community which sounds like a somewhat trite thing to say about your show or oh, we've created a community but 
we really have and um, each week we have at least 10 people that call in and that that's at least and it's from all over the world so we have a psychotherapist from new york who psycho uh, who uh, analyzes uh, the motivations of the characters each week we have a summarizer from australia we have a regular caller from kenya um and one of the beautiful things about doing dumpty dum is that yes i'm somewhat itinerant so i'm in toronto right now but i've done mini meetups in toronto i've done a quite successful one in san francisco kind of my second home where we had some 12 13 people turn up uh, I've had a little, we've had meetups in, in New York and of course in London because whenever I kind of get off a plane I'll tweet this is where I am and then people say oh let's, let's meet up for a drink and then if we do this formally through the show you know we can get together you know whether it's in London anything between 15 to, to 80 people or whether it's in San Francisco we'll still get you know 12, 13 people turn up to have dum de dum meetups so it is a global community which we've kind of fostered through our love of the archers. That is absolutely amazing. But I, I want to move you, in. You, you should listen to it. Not Dumpty Dum, the archers. I'll put that on my list. <laughs> put it to the top of your list, Thomas. <laughs> I've got a sneaky feeling that was just said just to just throw me off the scent somewhat. <laughs> well, Game of Thrones is in the middle of the Game of Thrones season, so I'll, you'll have to, I'll, I'll get around to it. It, it, it's 12 minutes a day that that's all it, it, it takes takes of your time and basically this is game of thrones without the sex i was going to say without the violence but we've just had helen archer stab or helen titchener stab her misogynistic husband and she's in prison uh, now just giving birth to a baby so she's on an attempted murder rap so there is violence in the archers, not much, not normally. Uh, but you imagine Game of Thrones without the medieval setting, uh, without the sex, with a little bit of the uh, violence, but in tractors, you've got it. It's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Uh, I just want to move uh, in more of my comfort zone and uh, talk a little bit about uh, 10 American presidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, which so the name is is pretty self-explanatory though it, it doesn't really encompass you know the entirety of of what the show is about. Um, for instance, you've done a, a episode about Colin Powell. Um, you've done the Monroe Doctrine with uh, Zach Twomley. Um, but why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about how Ten Americans uh, came to life and and how it's evolved? Okay, so. Um... As is the way with having West Indian parents and being brought up in the UK, my family is scattered all over the globe. And my grandfather, my father's father, um, lived in New Orleans until about three years ago. He just he passed away in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, I visited him for the first time in 1996. And I remember um, as the plane took off, it was about two or three hours before England were due to play Holland in the quarterfinals of the European Championships. And I, and I was saying, as much as I want to go to America, my God, this important football match is on at that time. And as the plane was about to land, the, the pilot said, so it is uh, 23 degrees in New Orleans. Uh, please adjust your watches to the local time, which is whatever time he said. And for those that are interested... England beat Holland 4-1! Like this, and then the plane landed, and the whole plane kind of erupted and went, hey! Like this. And um, so that was kind of welcome to America for me. And 
I um, visited my grandfather and literally the next day he said, right, grandson, we need to go to, and I forget where, wherever to get whatever. And and I said, well, how long is that going to take? And he said, oh, it's going to take half an hour in the car. And I said, I beg your pardon. And he said, yeah, we've got to, you know, and, and I was struck by the size of America. I, I forget what we had to get, but insert relatively trivial object in, in, into your mind and then think we had to tra- travel for half an hour to go and get it. And I said, this is just ridiculous. Uh, and, and I realised the size immediately of America, even though I've been looking at it on the map. And then whilst we were travelling in the car, I heard this guy rail against President Clinton the president is a fraud. We should impeach him. He's lied to the American people. Who is this bum? Blah, blah, blah. And this guy wasn't somebody who was calling in on the show. He was hosting the show. And I was absolutely transfixed. And I just thought to myself, my God, this would not be allowed in, in the UK. You know, we have we have rules about balance uh, in, in broadcast media. And you just cannot say such a thing. You know, at best, that would be somebody calling in of which the presenter would say, uh, please calm down and remember to keep this civil and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It was absolutely enthralling, Thomas. Um, it was only about maybe 10 years later on the run up to the 2008 election that I realised I'd been listening to Rush Limbaugh. Um, Whoops. And... <laughs> and I didn't agree at all with what this man was saying, but it was really entertaining. And I remember saying to my grandfather, why are you listening to this guy? And he says, the man's an idiot, but I, but it, but it's entertaining. you know. And that was my first real introduction to uh, American politics. Um, and I've just... And even though um, it... it it was it was a slow burn, really. Then there was the hanging chads in in two thousand, um, but really it was the two thousand and eight election with uh, the election of Obama, which I kind of looked at America really with 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 kind of with new eyes, and there is a tradition that uh, there is a tradition in European. Um, culture that says that things in America are somewhat bastardized and um, not what's the word I'm searching for this goes way back and I was listening to the Thomas Jefferson hour and they were talking about the fact that um, European thinkers at the time of Jefferson would say things like um, the American colony people in, in the American colonies w- will not thrive physically because of um, the lack of proper livestock in, in the new world there's all the, the, there are all these theories about the and all these kind of thoughts erroneous um, for the most part that things in the new world were not as good as the old and that kind of goes deep into an, a European kind of dismissiveness of American culture and I kind of had that as well, i.e. America has no history. And and you kind of realise that if you look at the formation of nation states, America is actually one of the oldest. So really what you're talking about isn't a lack of history. It's a, it's, um, a lack of continuous um, 
culture is what people are talking about because America is older than Germany, is older than Italy as a nation state, older than just about every country in, in Eastern Europe. Yeah, so what I've noticed, I think many people define the beginning of the modern era as the French Revolution. And when you look at it that way, the United States is as old and as well established in as much history as any modern state does. Um, the only thing that I would argue that we might lack are sort of those tyrannical bonds of history in many ways. Mm. Yeah. And, and actually, even the fact that it's the, the, mod, the notion that the modern world starts with the French Revolution is actually to do down America. Because in lots of ways, um, really, the founding of the modern world should be the American Revolution. It should be. Because a lot of the themes of the French Revolution are there in the American Revolution. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And also, it sets up this large, independent um, country, which is going to be massively important in world history. Uh, it sets it up, you know, it's going to be massively important for the next 200 years. So, I, you know, I came to, I came to uh, America with a typical European view that um, this is a place which kind of lacks history and was absolutely bowled over by understanding or having an understanding, I'm not saying I understand it, but having an understanding of the founding principles and the fact that America is is exceptional in, in many regards, but definitely is exceptional in, the, in this one regard, in that it is a country founded on principles which are not to do with, necessarily with place and with ethnicity. So I'm... I'm British because I was just born in Britain, I'm, so I'm just British. There is nothing to being British other than just born in Britain. Ditto the Italians, the French, the Russians, the Chinese, and literally every country under the planet. However, Americans say that you are a true American if you believe, let's say, in freedom of speech. It's an article of faith uh, that there are certain elements that you believe in democracy now britain can be a republic tomorrow and can be a communist country the day afterwards it's still britain america would be fundamentally different if it had a different uh or the notion of being american would be fundamentally different if it had a different form of government and actually it can't have a different form of government and and, and when i sat down and kind of realized this um, in the run-up to the American election of 2008, I said, this is a fascinating place. So that's really where my love of American history and the political machine kind of kind of came about. And understanding it really from a British perspective what was fascinating, because even though you take so many elements of your culture and your history, obviously are derived from the fact that these were ex-British colonies, the way that your government is structured is so different from ours. And forget the whole Republican monarchy thing. You just put that to one side. Mm -hmm. But we, to have, um, to have your Congress, which acts as a check and balance against the Senate and, and, and the presidency and the judiciary, the UK and, again, just every other major European country is not set up in that way. So we have a loyal opposition in, in the UK and they barrack the government all the time. 
in in the United States, yes, you have opposition uh, minority um, parties in the Senate and in Congress, but they're still all notionally within government. Mm-hmm. You know, we again in the United Kingdom, we don't have that. the 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 leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, is in opposition. He would not say that he is in government at all, and it's to understand that you have. There is a certain sclerosis to American politics, which is built in. Things have to move slowly. There are checks and balances all over the place. And where bits of government are in direct conflict with each other, they're independent, but in, in direct conflict. And and I just find this absolutely fascinating. And, the, and you have this political culture, which is very confusing for uh, a European to look at. And then increasingly in the last eight years, you've had the level of political disaffection and vitriol as well. So I just find the whole thing absolutely fascinating. And so come a couple of years ago, I said, right, after I did my series, How Jamaica Conquered the World, which technically isn't really finished, but uh, the truth of the matter is um, I do one or two shows a year now. I said to myself, I need to devote my time to looking at American history because at that time there weren't a lot of podcasts devoted to American history. Jamie Redfern hadn't started his and yes there's some a lot of PBS stuff out there but there weren't a lot of um, American podcasters doing American history. You hadn't come along by then nope. and if you look at and I think it's another kind of this goes to play up this notion of America not having history in inverted commas, and I don't want to disrespect Native Americans here, um, but the, the the group of people that came along who founded your country came from somewhere else, so they took on the traditions and uh, they looked at their and their antecedents are from somewhere else. That's just fact. Uh, so I, th- I think it's not by accident that you have somebody like Jamie Jeffers, who's American. But he does the History of England, uh, the British History Podcast, sorry. You have um, Stephen Guerra, History of the Papacy. Because, uh, uh, you know, so many of you Americans have clear antecedents somewhere else that you are in love with, um, by, by definition, European history. And you see that, and, and you see knights and Romans and Vikings as being something which you, you know, you have this emotional and historical attachment to. And that is history, in inverted commas. Uh, so, you know, again, Mike Duncan, history of Rome. You know, Dan Carlin, you know, uh, Dan Carlin didn't focus on looking at American history. So it was relatively speaking an easy decision to make with my love of American culture stroke history and then trying to understand how this peculiar place came about where notions of economics and governance are tied up with ideas of identity that I really had to do it. Now, I said the landscape now has moved a little now. So you have the American Civil War podcast by that husband and wife team. Uh, and there are, and I said, there's your, there's your show, Thomas. So, but back two years ago, um, there wasn't really too many American history podcasts. And I just, just wanted to do it. But I wanted to do it in a, in a, in a different way. 
you know and and that's one of my bugbears about podcasts really just do things in a different way don't just read books and regurgitate the books uh you know try and create your own spin on something so that's subtle results still you but with fewer lines botox cosmetic out of botulinum toxin a is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines crow's feet and forehead lines look better in adults Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. It's really how I came up with it, and sorry for talking for so long. That's all right. Now, you do have, you have seemed to focus more heavily on presidents, and uh, so far you've covered Nixon, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Jackson, and George Washington. Who are the others that you have lined up? And and which of the the ten grabs you the most right um i'll answer that in reverse initially of the 10 fdr is probably the president which i knew the most um about because of the second world war so you, you as a british school kid you'll learn about fdr um coming up we have um obama but we're just going to do his election in 2008 Mm-hmm. Um, we have Jefferson, who I find an absolutely fascinating figure. Um, a, a listener who's now become um, a bit of a podcasting chum, Adam Vanami, has done Grant, and he's actually the eleventh in inverted commas. 
um, obviously Lincoln, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Reagan, and Kennedy. Those are the ones which come in. And, and the whole idea is, is that I'm not saying that they are the most important and you on, on Facebook um, kind of help clarify somebody that that's said, oh, you know, you're doing the best. And I've never said these were the best presidents, um, but they're the most important or instructive in terms of understanding America at a certain time or they are absolutely pivotal. So, um, so Reagan, you can't understand, uh, Reagan has been absolutely massively important, not in terms of just understanding the modern right of American politics, but also setting, um, an international tone of liberal economic theory. That's Reagan. Also Thatcher in the UK, but, um, that, that's Reagan. So you have to do Reagan Mm -hmm. full stop. Kennedy is important because of the romanticism of of the presidency. Uh, You know, this young, good-looking guy gunned down at at his prime. Look at the way that things could have been. And he's the first of the modern era of presidents in terms of he he understood the televisual medium. And, of course, there's the famous uh, Kennedy-Nixon debates. You've got to do Kennedy, even though... I've got a lot of love for Johnson, to be honest with you, which is a somewhat controversial thing to say. But in terms of getting things done, he he got things done, but he's hung on the whole Vietnam patard. But mm, civil oh, yeah. rights, Johnson got things done, you know, and he was a politician of the, the highest order. And, and because of that, um, people kind of uh, walked backwards from Johnson, but he made those deals. He was, uh, you know, nakedly a a politician, but he got things done. Um, Look, I I love Truman as well. But, you know, we're not doing Truman per se, but we just did a show on the 1948 election. Um, Going back to presidents, which you have to do. Um, But maybe the one president which I didn't know, there's two presidents I didn't know an awful lot about at the start. Actually, Teddy Roosevelt... Um, I knew a bit about him, and and then the other one, which I didn't know an awful lot about, actually was was Jackson. Um, but you got to do Teddy Roosevelt because um, he redefines the American presidency after a whole slew of what literally forty, thirty years of almost uh, placeholder presidents. You know, he was this muscular guy in terms of personality that. Um, was definitely a man of action and redefined the American presidency yeah. of not just being uh, somebody who just rubber stamps things that actually kind of gets things done and then looked at corruption and, and you know, and corporations and big business. So absolutely a fearsome kind of guy. And that's before you look at him shooting, shooting sick bears and then having them kind of named after him and, and you know, and this kind of understanding of uh, environmental issues which kind of kind of comes about through his presidency um obviously you have to do lincoln say no more and then i think from a european perspective uh doing somebody like jackson is absolutely fascinating because jackson is the first president who is not built in the mold of the founding fathers so he's not an intellectual he you know is from from the backwoods and he's a self-made man and in effect he is the american dream and he's the first in inverted commas ordinary american who 
not from some kind of plant aristocracy family who by dint of his sheer will and strength of personality fights his way into national consciousness um there is no way that if you look at the presidents beforehand you know he's not you know he's not from virginia or anything like that and he self-made man and he gets to the uh he becomes president and a wildly popular one not forgetting um that he's in effect really one of the people and builds a cult of personality around him built on his image of having having wild hair and um mm-hmm. you know you see you see somebody now running for the ticket to be uh, the president of america the part of his shtick is the fact that he has the kind of distinctive hair and is fearless and is a populist and some might say a, a demagogue also but you kind of understand this whole idea that you know anybody you know any boy any girl can you know can aspire to be the president of the united states and you kind of see that first crystallized in the presidency of jackson so i think i've kind of just about done everybody apart from really talking about obama to say that the reason why we're doing obama is because um it's been somewhat normalized the fact that your president has a skin color which is different from the vast majority of people that live live in your country because we're used to it now to say that it's this was uh, an earth-shattering event for this to happen is is to put it mildly and and i say this to people all the time that this is the first time that a western country has had somebody who is racially not from the minority who's the head of his executive this has happened in peru Alberto Fujimura in the 1980 in the 1990s sorry was ethnically Japanese and he's the president of Peru but Peru is a western country but it's not one of the most powerful countries in the world Americans whether you agree or not with the politics of Barack Obama you need to pat yourselves on the back and to say that you know you you have done this because we are though the world and America is not at all color blind um this sends out a very powerful statement, a visceral statement to the rest of the world about who and what America actually is. And that's one of the reasons why Obama, whatever the polls say in America, I know his approval rating is about 51% at the moment, so he's quite popular. That's the reason why Obama is so popular throughout the rest of the world. And Americans don't really see this because they see... Uh, at least Republicans anyway will see him as somewhat as as a, as a divisive figure, and because they see the politics. But f- screw the politics, the symbolism. People in the United Kingdom, in France, in Germany, etc., were so excited about this, and it said so much about the idea of America. So you have to do Obama's election. No, we're not going to look at um, his time in govern government, but we're going to do a whole show around the election and. There were election parties in the United Kingdom and people didn't have any skin in the game. That's how important that election was to the rest of the world. You know, here was this telegenic, articulate guy who was um, who had actually spent time outside of America as well, you know, kind of growing up. So we're going to do Obama. Mm-hmm. And I love Thomas Jefferson. Um because you understand, again, from a European perspective, 
your gun laws make no sense. Well, not from a European <laughs> perspective. From an everywhere on the planet perspective, your gun laws make no sense. Now, I'm not going to say whether I think those are right or wrong. You can probably guess by me saying they make no sense where I sit on this. But I take a guess. But you, but if you don't understand the American Revolution, then that Second Amendment, the right to, to bear arms, then makes that that that's the reason why people don't understand it. Whether that should be in in a modern uh, society, whether people should be walking around with guns, is another thing. But to understand those theories of the yo the yeoman farmer, the yeoman citizen, the the fact that we need to balance individual rights against the state, against the centre, that's Thomas Jefferson, you know, and the ideals of what America is politically, philosophically, is Thomas Jefferson. And then at least you have an understanding of the Second Amendment and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of comes from him and just the the theory of the Republic and Thomas Jefferson is obviously a lion when, when it when it comes to that. You know, so um, those are the reasons why I'm doing the presence that I am. Excellent. And I think the other really fascinating feature of Ten American Presidents um, would have to be your series of guest hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, the biggest names thus far have been Dan Carlin and Mike Duncan. Um, who else do you have lined up? Are there any big um, surprises? Um, like, so we've had Zach Twomley, and I must admit, don't ever tell him, because I know no one listens to, the, to these exchanges, but I've, I'm actually a little bit of a Zach fanboy. Um, and just, just indulge me for a second. It's one thing to be able to research really well. It's one thing to be able to put together, to produce a show. But I think not enough is actually made of the voice of the podcaster. Um, you you become that person's friend through their voice. You you become incredibly close and attached to that podcaster through their voice. And there is and I just think Zach is absolute gold. So I asked Zach to do me an episode, and he did. And so so, so what I'm trying to do is obviously I want people to come along and narrate the life of a president. But as you kind of hinted at before, the scope of the shows has gone beyond the big man view of of history in terms of this is president one and he did this and this is president two, he did that, etc, etc. So what Zach did was the Monroe Doctrine. And what I'm trying to do is go to other podcasters who I respect and say... um, Let's do a show which reflects your show and we'll we'll put that in 10 American Presidents. So When Diplomacy Fails, um, for me, um, is just a brilliant podcast because I think Zach is almost wasted on podcasts. <laughs> he should be yeah. in broadcast media. I think he's just, he has a great delivery, a great understanding of, of, of the subject and um, he just it creates a, a great all-round product. So we decided to do the Monroe Doctrine and that we could put that in in 10, 10 American presidents without necessarily talking about all of the legislation which Monroe enacted or his time in president, uh, time time in office, sorry. Um, so we've got Zach, we've got you coming up. 
Um, I've got um, David Petrusha. Oh, actually, you coming up is actually really important because actually a hero of mine is actually is Hamilton, and this is before the hip hop musical. <laughs> um, so to do to do Hamilton is absolutely brilliant because uh, yeah, like a lot of people, I'm I am fascinated about the founding fathers and the way that you Americans kind of lionize them, even though they're incredibly flawed and conflicted individuals. And Hamilton is just just a great one, and and arguably in terms of Jefferson. The Hamiltonian, the, the, the America that we have now is Hamilton's America, with Jefferson's guns. That that's that's basic, basically it really. Um, so you're going to do Hamilton. David Petrusha is somebody who I bumped into who has done FDR, and for me, it's probably my favourite episode. I know a lot of people say say Nixon. Um, and it's a bit of a toss-up for me. So Dan Carlin did Nixon, uh, Mike Duncan did Washington. Dave Petrusha, I hadn't heard of David, but on the Facebook group, a listener, or listeners, two listeners, when I, would, I, I said, put out a message saying, who should I reach out to to get to narrate a show? And I believe Stephen Guerra said David Petrusha, but definitely somebody else did as well. And I contacted him. And he's and he'd written he's written a couple of books about uh, FDR and about the 1932 election, the 1948 election, the 1964 election. So he's a historian and author of, of repute, and he has an amazing turn of phrase. And um, so he did the FDR show for me. I've got lined up. Notionally, um, I have. Robin Pearson said he will do something, though we're trying to figure out what exactly that is, because I'm trying to marry up, marry up the shows uh, with something which chimes with um, with what that narrator also does as well. Now, anyway, I am. Sharon Eastall also says she would do something. So we might do a show looking, a one-off show looking at America's involvement in the Middle East. So at least then there'll be echoes back to the Crusades. Um, we have coming up um, crumbs. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with, with Stephen Guerra actually, and um, I, I've been mulling it over in my mind before I actually reach out to Steve. But Steve, if you're listening, um, maybe if you can have a think, sir, um, you know, we, we can, we'll kind of get something going. One of the reasons why the presidents have not been done in chronological order is because it very much is a do you want to do this? Pick your president, type of thing. Um, oh, Rob, yeah, Rob Monaco has also said he's going to do one as well. Um, and I think I've just found somebody to do Reagan. Um, so I, I bumped into um, an author. I won't reveal it, really reveal his name just yet, but quite a well-known author has written a couple of books about the Reagan years, who's very conversant beyond a microphone. He's done a lot of TV interviews and stuff. Uh, but we just go through the logistics and he'll probably end up do, doing Reagan. Um, and then also, Kennedy is going to be done by Daryl Cooper of the excellent Marta Maid podcast. And what, what I love about what Daryl does is the fact that he puts so much of his own um, thoughts, theories, and theories on the world basically into his shows, and he, he's a very powerful thinker. Um, so I'm really looking forward to him doing doing Kennedy. Dave Petrucci will come back and do. I think he's going to do Teddy Roosevelt. 
and um, one of the one of the many great things I love about doing 10 American Presidents is the fact that it has spun off so we have done various other things and we're doing a mini series within it called 10 American Elections and uh, David Petrusha with kind of listener now podcasting bro Adam Vanami are very upfront and kind of central with that project and we just recorded yesterday the 1948 election which is the famous one where Truman beats Dewey but the Chicago Times or the Chicago Tribune I forget which one it is Prince um Dewey defeats the, Truman exactly and there's Truman hold, holding it up and whatever so um and they just work excellently on that you know so David is the point man but uh, Adam uh is is the color commentator i uh, i literally asked if i asked seven questions in that one and a half hours and the pair just had a conversation and it was just something to behold you know so um yeah there's 10 american presidents for you great i think we're gonna start wrapping up now um, no let's talk some more <laughs> well talk I, about me <laughs> well actually that's where i wanted to go now, as of the recording, uh, from what I've seen uh, on social mm-hmm. media, you are looking to move from the UK to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, what What's that process like? Uh, tortuous. Um, so, I there are various visas. I, I, I started the process in, in London. Um, I, so let me go back a step. So, I've had this long slow love affair with the United States which I didn't even realize was a love affair and really until two years ago and it really bit me on the bum um, when I came to um, I decided just to go travel the world uh, for for a couple of months went to Toronto saw my kids and then I said right I'm gonna go to an American city I've already been to New Orleans and New York and I said right I need to go somewhere else and I said I, I almost went to Chicago and uh, said no right I'm going to go west coast and uh, San Francisco and within 12 hours of being there I've said this is the place for me I love it I love I love cities and one of the other podcasts I do is this thing called the urbanist for the new statesman which is all about cities and how they work and how they're the most environmentally friendly way to live etc etc blah 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 blah. it's an urbanist dream love love that um but it was only this year I decided, right, I need to emigrate to the United States after me spending three months, two months uh, in the preceding year kind of in, in the States. So there are loads of visas potentially which I could go for. I could even call myself an alien of extraordinary ability. There is a visa even called that, wow. you know, which if we you won... highly of ourselves, do we? <laughs> <laughs> so if I won some kind of award, uh, if I've won a Nobel Peace Prize... All right, I can just walk into America and under that visa because I'm an alien of extraordinary ability. Um, it doesn't have to be just be a Nobel Peace Prize, obviously, mm-hmm. but if I've won some kind of significant award. But then there are, there are various kind of media ones which I believe I could kind of qualify for. So back in, I think, February, when I got back to the UK after spending six weeks in North America, I went, right, I'm going to go for this. And it's absolutely bewildering, Thomas. So what I've decided to do, I'm just over here still on a, on a tourist visa, but I'm speaking to a um, to a lawyer who deals with immigration right now who's going to work it all out for me. So it's going to be somewhat of a long, tortuous 
process. I believe I could go through the Alien of Extraordinary Ability one. I said there are two or three other acronyms for media ones, which I believe I would qualify for. I could get a sponsor, etc., etc. But what you don't want to do is um, apply, make a mistake, which then precludes you then from going for another visa. So instead of me doing it online and trying to work it all out myself, because when I looked at the, the one visa, there were 36 pages of stuff for me to fill out. And at that point, I said, I'm not qualified to do this because if I make a mistake here, um, you know, I'll be somewhat upset. So um, suffice to say, uh, I'm no expert, but uh, my, my lawyer is. And, uh, uh, you know, let, let's come back and see where we are in, in a couple of months uh, in terms of my, my whole process um, of me getting residency in your wonderful country. Well, it's really that that torturous process is really just getting you ready for a series of torturous processes that citizens have to go through, like going, oh, I don't know, to the Department of Motor Vehicles and things like that. So it's good practice. Well, I look forward to that unalloyed joy of being an American citizen. <laughs> um, and I think the final question I have for you today is mm -hmm. now historically waves upon waves of people have migrated to the United States you're either seeking better economic opportunity or maybe an escape from the ancient political tyrannies which have oppressed them but mm -hmm. I mean you live in most of the time 21st century United Kingdom which I think is hard to say famine ravaged or something like that it seems to be a very pleasant place to live. What What's the modern first world individual's motivation for moving to the United States? The truth of the matter is, is that if I was born in San Francisco, I'd probably want to move to London. This is no demerit on the United Kingdom about the fact that I want to live and work in, in San Francisco. And I'm... I want to live and work in the Bay Area in San Francisco, as opposed to America per se. No disrespect to Boise, Idaho, but I don't want to live there. No disrespect to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, but I don't want to live there. Um, there's an interesting point. There's a kernel of a, an interesting point in what you're saying and when you said 21st century. And I am a digital native and I can work anywhere on the planet um, but I myself like a lot of us choose to live and work around people who are like me and people who are like me who are very comfortable um, having three or four different labels I'm English I'm British I'm Jamaican I'm European I'm Western whatever um, can kind of uh, float around uh, so um, as I said I love London I still own a home in London uh, my kids live in Toronto well in Burlington just outside of Toronto I'm for me I need to live somewhere where English is, a, is the primary language because I can't speak another language so um, I'm I think I'm a 21st century citizen really it just so happens that I'm also an urbanist and I really enjoy the physicality of being in and around the Bay Area um, in terms of culture in terms of um, 
opportunity in terms of architecture um etc so for me there are certain cities which are not interchangeable but which are similar so london is similar to new york uh san francisco is a little bit different because it's physically smaller but in terms of the outlook of the people that live there it's not massively dissimilar it's an overwhelmingly liberal place um socially uh socially liberal um, it's very open it's inviting of new people and that's kind of somewhere where uh, you know where I want to be it's the reason why I feel somewhat comfortable in Toronto uh, it's the reason why I feel somewhat comfortable in London so um, yeah as I said just to repeat this is not that uh, the tyranny of uh, the living under, underneath Elizabeth II's England you know I need I need to get out you know I feel persecuted it's nothing like that it's just a case of um, why not go and live somewhere else and see a bit of the world? Why not? You know, and um, fortunately, I'm, I'm in the position where I, I can kind of do that. So that's what I want to do. Well, Royfield Brown, Amerophile, international man of mystery, podcaster. But not really a man of mystery. I think I've laid everything bare out on your show, sir. There's, there's, there's nothing more to me. Pretty oh. thread, threadbare, I would say. Oh, I would have held on to that title as dearly as I could. <laughs> well, <laughs> but thank you very, very much, sir, for joining me today. It's been a fascinating discussion. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug before we finish? Uh, the ex. I tell you what. Um, I just listen to a couple of the history of islam <laughs> actually very good so that's what i want to plug the history of islam um even though and, I, and i'll say this um somewhat controversially even though they don't like me so much go listen to thomas jefferson hour uh clay jenkinson does a, 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 an amazing podcast and if you are uh whether you're american or european I mean, it's a great way of discovering the founding principles of america and um, why uh, America is is the place that it is. And the other thing about the Thomas Jefferson Hour, which for me is really important about podcasts, and I've kind of half mentioned this before, is that they've taken a topic, but they've actually presented it in a very unique way. And I think more podcasts should should, should do that. You know, it's one. You know, so you've got your history of Rome's, you've got your history of Germany, your history of wherever and stuff, and the first raft of kind of podcasts you, you you need that to cover the bases but then i think it's beholden on podcasters to have a little bit of creativity and, and originality and to create their own topics and it's one of the reasons why i love when diplomacy fails because uh you know it's what led up to the war you know there aren't too many books that that, that kind of say that they talk about the wars and yes they might have what 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 you know a little bit of what what led up to it but he's put a whole kind of series together and the thomas jefferson hour is definitely one of those um in terms of let's take a topic it's thomas jefferson's so you think it's a, a big man theory of history but he dons the mantle of thomas jefferson and, and answers questions on america here and today in not just with a Jeffersonian outlook, but being Thomas Jefferson. It's brilliant, and and, and, it's, and it's very unique. The history, the history of the world in a hundred objects, which I know us history podcasters like to talk about in um, independently run podcasts all the time, but that is a major milestone in terms of 
podcast uh, in terms of history uh, broadcasting slash podcasting but also in terms of very informative for me and um, so if you haven't listened to that listen to um, Mr Ferguson's uh, The History uh, History of the World in 100 Objects which was a BBC podcast about five years ago absolutely fascinating and I look at things like a, a coin from Damascus in um, 620 and how that denotes the fact that the Arabs have just invaded and how and then they look at the fact that here is the head of the the new Arabic ruler but on the back so it apes the old Roman coins but then on the other side on the obverse side is Arabic script absolutely fascinating and again it's just a way of taking a topic but having a slide a sideways glance at it which is easily enjoyable and digestible so i would say my if i'm plugging anything american biography because i need to suck up to my host absolutely uh, zach twormley uh when diplomacy fails the history of islam the other scary thing about the history of islam is I think the presenter is only just out of nappies, out of diapers, just last week. <laughs> and and <laughs> sorry, just... I'm sure, I'm sure Elias will appreciate that. <laughs> he's a, he's a young guy. He's a young guy. Yeah, I'm somewhat yeah. slightly old, old in the tooth now, but he's 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 quite young. And you'd never believe it by the rigor of what of of how he addresses his topic, and also by just uh, the baritoneness of his voice as well. He's he's very good. He's got a big future ahead of him. Uh, the Thomas Jefferson hour and as I say I somewhat upset I'm going to just say it now I, I don't really care we're at the back end of, the, of this podcast I somewhat up, upset the host Clay Jenkinson by going on his show last year and um, and, and somewhat uh, uh, somewhat ruffled uh, some of his uh, uh, feathers so to speak um, but I, I apologise Mr. Mr. Jenkinson but he's never got over it And uh, but it's a great show and uh, and then the last okay. one is the history of the world in, in 100 objects. So those are my takeaways. You know, too many people say the history of Rome and Dan Carlin. So they don't need any more plug in. They don't need any more plugs. Uh, oh, Martyr Maid. Daryl's Martyr Maid. Go, go listen to that as well. Because here is somebody who has a very strong and independent uh, view on uh, the world. And he looked at the Arab-Palestinian uh, conflict and um, it's one thing which I think a lot of Americans are actually blind to the subtleties and the nuance of the Palestinian position in it um, it isn't just a case of um, Israel good Palestine bad and to have an American who really understands the Palestinian position and the frustration of the Palestinians is something to behold but to put it in a way which is still accessible and still fair to the Israeli perspective as well so go listen to that you know good independent podcast with a strong uh, view and, and set of visions and uh, you know a fearless kind of podcaster so those are my oh and the Agora Podcast Network Thomas people should listen to that all of its output there you go <laughs> Roy Field Brown, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Have a good one. Alrighty, I hope you enjoyed that talk with Roy Field Brown. Make sure you check out his wonderfully produced shows. You can find Ten American Presidents and How Jamaica Conquered the World on iTunes, Acast, and any podcatcher worth their salt. And to find out more about Roy Field and the services he can provide you, check out RoyField.com because this gun's for hire, even if it's just for dancing in the dark. 
And the last thing, I just want to mention that if you're enjoying listening to Agora Podcast Network's original content, please leave a review on iTunes. Not just for the exchange, though I certainly do appreciate that, but for any of our collaborations or just for this collective effort of ours. They make us feel like we're making an impact, and it will help get us noticed, so thank you in advance. So until next time, I'm Tom Daly, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Soon.